Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And we are off, and we're hooked onto the chain. Clack, 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 being pulled up now leaning back in the chair because it's so steep the climb to the top we're inside at the moment inside the casino but through a tunnel you can see the bright blue sky of the nevada desert clack 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 and then suddenly we are outside we emerge from this tunnel but we're still going it's so high this roller coaster you can't believe how high we are Looking around, you can see all the jumbled mountains of the Mojave Desert in the distance. Flat desert floor right over there. Somewhere you can see Las Vegas towering above on the horizon. But we're still climbing, climbing, climbing for what seems to be the most ridiculous amount of time. And of course, the higher you climb, the more nervous you are about what's going to be on the other side, the big drop. Okay, here we go. Getting to the top. Everything just goes slowly as we come to the apex. Oh my god, we're so high! Oh god, no! 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 Oh! We're falling down! Falling! Oh my god, my stomach! Oh! No! 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 No more! Oh god, I want to be sick. I don't want to be sick. I love it. Why do I love this so much? Alright, enough. Enough. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Patented, my podcast about the history of inventions from History Hit. I am Dallas Campbell, sitting in my mum's house. I'm dog-sitting at the moment. It's nice and warm here. I hope it's nice and warm where you are. It's so cold and grim outside. We started with me pretending to ride my favourite roller coaster in the world, Desperado at Buffalo Bills Casino in Nevada, en route to Las Vegas, where we used to stop many years ago with friends and always had a great time doing that. I love roller coasters. I've always, always loved roller coasters, but they are strange things. I mean, whose bright idea was the roller coaster? And how did we end up going from roller coaster 1.0 if you like the windows 3.1 of roller coasters to me hurtling towards the nevada desert at 80 miles an hour all in the name of fun well there is only one person in the world i want to have on to answer these questions it's my friend brendan walker brendan is the only thrill engineer that's his official job title in the world who studies how you elicit the emotion of thrill from the human body. He is the roller coaster guy. He's the guy that roller coaster designers come to for advice about how to maximize their thrill levels. And it's not just about fastest, it's not just about tallest, it's not just about the amount of loops. There's all kinds of nuances and intricacies in the design of roller coasters that Brendan is privy to, and he's going to share his secrets with us today. So keep your arms and legs inside the podcast. 
as we go on another roller coaster ride into the history of inventions. show brendan walker i'm so happy you're here and i'm happy you're here because i don't know why is it taking so long for you to appear on this podcast well i don't know i think i should be asking you that shouldn't i yeah you should have been on episode one for listeners just to fill you in here i know brendan in fact i met brendan on a roller coaster Mm. that's not a lie we were at thought park it was Thought Park, wasn't it? And it was for Bango's The Theory. It was for Bango's The Theory, which was a science programme I used to do. And we were doing a piece about fear, about human fear and why, and I don't know, physiological reactions to roller coasters, which is what you do. It was about kind of desensitisation. Like my first trip on the roller coaster on the graph, I was like, it's scary. And by the 50th time, <laughs> I was actively bored <laughs> by it. I think that was the sort of takeaway fact. Yes, Absolutely. It was all about novelty and novelty being an absolutely uh, key factor in any thrilling experience, which keeps us as humans looking for new adventures, looking for new frontiers, looking to explore, discover and invent. So thrill is the thing that sort of pushes us forwards and keeps us happy as we innovate and invent and work our way around things. We're going to talk a little bit about the science later on, I feel. You know, this is about origins, this podcast. And I was thinking about roller coasters and, you know, there's the kind of classic roller coasters. I think it was Coney Island. Was that the first roller coaster is there a roller coaster 1.0 kind of windows 3.1 of roller coasters (laughs) what are the origins of the roller coaster like where did we even i mean that's pretty familiar now we all like going to alton towers and stuff i'm going to go back to animals uh, before (laughs) i before i even step forwards this video that somebody sent me and this is pertinent i have to say of a dog dragging a plastic sheet to the top of a, a snowy hill then jumping on it and sliding to the bottom. I've seen that video. (laughs) Yeah, you've seen that video. So this is dogs, you know, enjoying that sensation of sliding on ice. That's what I say. I think it predates, I suppose, what we think historically is the first 1.0 ride, which is the great ice slides in Russia. There are accounts of people sledging, for one better term, but sort of formalising that into slightly more sort of constructed chutes that they could go down. That's interesting. Sorry, that's my dog barking in the background. Mention of dogs. It's my mum's dog, actually. Well, the thrill of sledging, perhaps, of going down a hill on a sledge, I can understand. So the Russian hills, these are engineered hills, aren't they? And they would put ice on the hills and then you'd have a nice time sliding down them. Yeah. Well, I think when we get to sort of Catherine the Great, I think that's when they were formalised from sort of rural pursuits into things which were actually constructed, probably in places that they weren't meant to be. And probably they started to get the idea that maybe fashioning them at certain angles, you were guaranteed to have the best possible ride. So I think there's an idea now where we're starting to construct our thrilling experiences to maximise the effect for everybody. Oh, so, so the engineers would look at these and go, actually, let's not just have a slide. Let's actually put in a hump or a bump or a loop-the-loop. 
And I don't know this for a fact, but I think as, you know, you look at it with skateboarders, once they start constructing their own little uh, sets, if you're starting to make something, you're always going to go, actually, if we do this, it'll feel better. So once you start making things, there's going to be naturally going to be this evolution. As I say, with Thrill, we always seek to maximise things. So if I was back then in the, you know, 17th, 18th century, I'd certainly be fiddling with it. So (laughs) I can imagine you in the 17th and 18th century, actually. I'm actually looking at a picture of Russian mountains, and there is a, a kind of paint or a drawing of these people going down one of these engineered slides. I suppose that brings us to the point about, you know, the idea of fairgrounds of lots of different kinds of rides. Is there an origin to the fairground or as we might think of them or the amusement park? If you, if you go back to the sort of 13th, 14th century, there are illustrations, mainly sort of monastic illustrations of people, mainly children, riding water wheels. So as soon as we had anything that went round and round that was powered, so, for example, you know, water wheels, then we get people sitting on them going, oh, wouldn't it be nice if, you know, we get some movement for free? So it's clearly a novelty. And I think even swings themselves go way, way back. So they're sort of prehistoric, you know, 2000 BC. There are various types of rides, swings and roundabouts, which have got quite a long history. But then we get to the Industrial Revolution and, you know, steam power, you know, and then there's a huge explosion with people. It always comes down to the Industrial Revolution. (laughs) (laughs) I wish it didn't. First of all, just before we cross into the Industrial Revolution, let's do our Here Comes the Science. Why do we like to do this? Is there an evolutionary benefit from us enjoying thrill rides, whether it's swings or slides or roller coasters or base jumping? Like, What's the reason why humans do this? Why does it give us pleasure? There's two questions. Why does it give us pleasure and what good is that to us? Why it's good for us is, you know, it does give us an evolutionary advantage because thrill is a chemical of drugs of adrenaline, dopamine, endorphins that give us an incredible high. And uh, we get that high from two components. One is pleasure and one is arousal. So pleasure is the scientists call the hedonistic tone. It's basically whether we like something or not. And arousal is is like excitement. It's the body being pumped up and ready for action. Our hands become sweaty. Our heart starts beating. And we get this massive boost of adrenaline, which causes all these physiological effects. And if, for example, let's say, uh, Dallas, you're swinging through the trees, trying to avoid being eaten by a lion chasing on the ground, all these things are great for you because even the sweatiness of your palms allows you to grab onto branches and not fall off. So it makes your hands stickier. Huh, interesting. There's documentation of chimpanzees shaking rotting trees, running to the top and riding them to the ground. They can only assume it's for the pleasure of doing it, simulating this kind of mixture of danger and then the reward of survival. So thrill rewards us for surviving, rewards uh, sex. So again, that's the persistence of life. That's what was in my mind, Brendan. Not because I'm looking at you, but just when you were talking, all those things that you were just saying, I was like, kind of sounds a bit like sex. <laughs> yeah, well, when you say it all comes down to the Industrial Revolution, <laughs> quite often it, all, it also comes down to a lot to do with sex. Yeah, yeah. that's... Yes. There we go. There's a little bit of science for you folks. Let's move from the 17th century, 18th century, sort of engineered slides. When... And where was the first real roller coaster? If I went in my time machine and I looked at it, I would say that is a roller coaster. You would go to the Promenade Ariane in Paris, 1817. So this is, I think, it was a kind of a palace to, well, I'm trying to say, it's, yes, it's a roller coaster. It's got carriages that people get into. It's a central building with two slides that go off left and right, almost like sort of snaking S-bends. 
people get in carriages at the top, they're sort of hooked on with safety uh, hooks. People get in, they let them go, and these things go shooting down the hill, hopefully to come to a safe stop at the end. Because there was no ice for most of the year in Paris, they looked for different ways. And obviously, wheels have got a very low friction, so can simulate ice to quite a good degree. Hold that thought. So we're in Paris. What happened in Paris? Well, I'm gonna, <laughs> let's get in our time machine. So 1817. So, well, firstly, I should say, Daz, I don't know how they got the carriages back up to the top. And so this is one of the innovations which I know started to happen in the US mid-19th century, where they started to look at developing roller coasters. I mean, I could only imagine they had a team of donkeys or something winching this thing at the poor beasts just for people to go back down again. They must have thought we were crazy. If they had mining railway, I mean, presumably like the kind of ratchet existed as a thing with a handle, you could turn it and it wouldn't go back because it's on a ratchet. Yeah, I think in Paris... I don't know if they were on rails or whether this was more of a toboggan. So these kind of rides still exist again in the States where they're a hybrid of using rails and then actually just a smooth wooden half pipe, which this thing trundles down. So, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what the mechanism is getting back up again. But I know that that building still in Paris, the Promenade Adienne, is still there, but the rails are gone. So the two outhouses are still there. So if if you want to go to a cathedral of roller coasters, maybe that's the pilgrimage you'd really want to go on. Yeah, that's really interesting. Actually, whilst we're in Paris, it was you who told me this once. Apparently, they were going to turn the Eiffel Tower into a thrill ride not exactly a roller coaster but like but kind of a roller coaster is that right or did i dream that no no you're right and you were being very generous asking what else was going on in paris around that time well of course there was the eiffel tower yes and i'm thinking all the time here about roller coasters but yeah we've got another way we can go rather than left and right we can go up and down and at the same time that uh, monsieur eiffel was designing the eiffel tower which was a great monument to engineering and steel of the era and steel construction monsieur caron was designing the world's first vertical drop ride which passengers would be placed inside something which looked like a ginormous bullet so this bullet shaped torpedo suspended over well what he proposed was a champagne shaped lake underneath the Eiffel Tower and this thing which would be winched up about halfway up the tower people would climb inside they'd sit on well what you could see from the illustrations looked like velvet high back chairs with heavy springs in the bottom so very comfy looking and then it would be released under its own weight it would you know pick up velocity and it would hopefully come to rest in the champagne shaped lake below (laughs) hopefully (laughs) why didn't they build that So basically in Paris, round about the time of the Industrial Revolution, there were all these exotic rides being thought of being built. And that's exciting. The evolution of the roller coaster, if we go from those sort of very early times, I'm always imagining that it's an American invention or seems to be an American invention. Certainly when I was younger, I always looked at roller coasters and think, well, Coney Island and Magic Mountain, Disneyland, that kind of stuff. Am I right? Did the Americans take this on? They took on part of it. I'm just saying that begrudgingly because I still think some of the best rides are in the UK and Europe. But they did have, well, let's look at something like the British Navy. So I'm going to a different form of engineering now. But the reason why the British Navy were able to dominate the seas was because we went over to Canada. We were able to get our hands on the giant spruce and able to make our biggest masts. So our fleet was far superior. The same was kind of true of structural engineering, particularly when we think about building structures out of wood. There was an abundance of massive trees in the US. So when you start building structures for roller coasters, you 
are able to quite easily build the highest and which therefore you're building the fastest. So I think there was an explosion in appetite for this kind of entertainment, which actually was, you know, more of a cultural phenomenon. Again, ties very much into the Industrial Revolution. I'm sorry we're going back to that. But the other thing that happened with the Industrial Revolution was that the population started being drawn towards the great metropolis. And we're no longer faced with the kind of thrilling pursuits that we might be able to find naturally. You know, we're all sort of hemmed into these big cities. So parks like Luna Park, which was part of Coney Island, started to become popular forms of entertainment because you could go and experience thrill, excitement, novelty, which was so devoid in these sort of man-made habitations you know which we now call cities so they sort of evolved hand in hand and i think in the u.s we get you know particularly with new york philadelphia boston we get these parks which start to spring up alongside cities because there's a massive audience i'm sure listeners know where coney island is in new york on the coast and it's famous for that big wooden roller coaster was that the first wooden roller coaster built do we know Oh, I don't know if it's the first wooden roller coaster. The Frederick Ingersoll was running these parks, but the Philadelphia Toboggan Company, they were the most prolific US designers and manufacturers of coasters at the time. So they did supply the major parks, right. including Coney Island. Okay. But they did make the loop the loop. So it was ah. certainly the first ride that was the loop the loop that appeared. So we are now defying gravity they didn't quite get it right but (laughs) (laughs) was the loop the loop on the coney island roller coaster yes it was yeah well that's interesting because presumably we're limited from an engineering point of view by things like materials and engineering you know we don't have computer models to design roller coasters on back then so just do we have a name for example of who the kind of great roller coaster designer was of the era or was there a company that was doing the first loop the loop and you know evolving it into becoming more more and more of a thrill ride well coming out of the philadelphia Tabong company was a guy called johnny miller that's john miller i think he's still got something like over a hundred patents which are still in effect and being used today on modern rides and you know if you go to the original loop the loop ride the reason it was so severe and i kind of like I said they kind of got it right was it had to go so fast because they were relying on centripetal force which is that force when you change direction, which squeezes you into the side of the ride when you're going around in a loop. They were relying on that to keep them stuck on the underside of that loop as they were going round. And you need to get up a decent speed to do that. But the problem is, the faster you go, when you enter the loop, you kind of get these G-forces and you can kind of create whiplash. So they were getting up to like 10 G. People were coming off with (laughs) with neck injuries and all sorts. So famously, they had medical staff permanently stationed on that ride because of the frequency of accidents that happened. I mean, it was then replaced by another ride, and I don't know who invented it, called the Flick Flack Railway, which actually now they start to get a few things right because of John Miller, because of his innovations. And the key one, I have to say, which we experienced, I say, thank goodness, at Thorpe Park, was the understop wheel, which essentially means that there's not just a wheel on the rails, there's a wheel underneath the rails. So to stop you falling off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you don't need to go around quite so fast. Obviously, you need seatbelts as well at this point to stop you falling out the ride. Yeah. But they're kind of simple when we look at them now. But back then... You know, these were like major innovations. Are we calling John Miller the founding father of the roller coaster? I hope so. Yes, I, I'd say. Of the do mo- we, is that okay? Can we do can, that? Can we say of the modern roller coaster? 
Hello everyone, James Rogers here, the host of the Warfare podcast by History Hit. I'm a war historian who works with the UN, NATO and governments around the world. Twice a week, every week, we bring you the defining wars of history and learn about the history of emerging wars. The passengers and crew of 149 were trapped trapped and delivered into the hands of Saddam Hussein. We hear from the veterans who served. Guards there would grab a machine gun and fire at us as we went over and could see the splinters flying in all directions. Through to world-leading historians providing context to understand current conflicts. Finland obviously couldn't join NATO, which makes the two Finnish leaders' statements about Finland deciding for itself whether it will join NATO. That makes those statements even more important. Subscribe to Warfare from History Hits on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us on the front lines of military history. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss that's really meant so take us through some of the other innovations so we've got the underwheel we've got the loop the loop just take us through the, the kind of progression of roller coasters from there to kind of where we are now because they've got so complicated now and imaginative and presumably that comes down to well from the industrial revolution to the digital revolution the fact that you can model things on a computer and engineer things with with much more precision now what were the other big sort of innovations well i think the human in the loop firstly i think understanding more about human physiology so we were already exceeding the limitations with the loop the loop ride exceeding those g-forces so there was a lot of work Mm. and i think really that came out of medical science in in aviation so there was uh, colonel john stapp Oh, yes, John Stapp. I, okay, I love this story. I was going to mention John Stapp. One of my, I've been fascinated by the John Stapp story for a long time. A medical doctor in the US Air Force, late 1950s, he did some incredible experiments and put his own body on the line in, in, in his sort of quest for knowledge. Just tell us a little bit about what he did. Well, the bits I know are pertinent to the physiology, but he was obviously, you know, with the new supersonic planes that were being designed at the time with massive G-forces that they could exert. He really wanted to understand what the human body could withstand. And so he did these rocket sled experiments where he would, uh, yeah, essentially train track, train track. <laughs> with a rocket yeah, on. with a carriage with a rocket on. And he would be strapped in a particular orientation. So the most famous photographs are of him sat face forwards, because I think they soon realised that the G-forces that you could experience going front to back were the greatest out of all the different ways you could orientate your body. But he, the, the limiting factor became the retinas becoming detached off the back of his eyeballs. Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, first of all, remind us of the kind of Gs that he was pulling doing these experiments. I mean, this was obviously when they were testing things like ejector seats. They wanted to understand the physiology of the human body. But the Gs he was pulling... Oh, they were in excess of 10. And I can't remember where the retinas uh, detached. (laughs) They're probably still there in the (laughs) desert somewhere in America. There's like poor John Stapp's retinas like lying somewhere under a rock. Yeah, like an elastic band. They heard it go ping, but they couldn't find it afterwards. Um... 
Yes, sorry, sorry, I was going with that. But he was so. Oh, yeah. So those limitations are. It isn't just the peak; it's also the duration. So, like any engineering structure, you can maybe uh, give something a really hard punch once, but if you were to apply that pressure for any period of time, you get some terrible deformation. So the human body again is quite capable. Even like your collarbones and other parts of your body are designed to take momentary shock quite nicely but if you were to apply a constant pressure they'd snap so i think again this was something that john stat was was experimenting with yeah so so we understand the origins from an engineering point of view materials that kind of stuff also understanding the physiology i want to sort of move it forward into more sort of contemporary times because the other name that comes up is is Werner stengel where does he fit into our story? Yeah, so Werner Stengel's a, a German engineer, but working with Anthony Schwarzkopf. And so they're working on roller coasters. He set up his own company back in uh, 1965, Sternal Engineering. <laughs> get his name right, Stengel Engineering. I'll just call it <laughs> Stengineering. Stengineering's good. <laughs> and he, he, I think, so when we're talking about the, the modern language of roller coasters now, he takes the work of John... Miller. Now, if you imagine, if we're talking about this in terms of, I like to talk it in terms of composing and music, John Miller started to write some great sort of riffs, you know, little bits of notation here and there. But then Werner Stengel really takes that and, and turns them into like power ballads, rock ballads. I mean, what he has mm. at his disposal now in 1965, he's got rolled steel, cold rolled steel, super, super robust and able to create all sorts of shapes. You've got bearings now, which mean you can roll incredibly smoothly down these tracks, losing very little energy. And you start to get computer modeling or Back then, it's probably finite element analysis, which was a bit more sort of hand calculations. But what he was able to do then was to experiment with different types of ride formations. So he was able to do the calculations. For example, people know if you're into your coasters, you'll know the hammerhead turn or the cobra roll. What's that? What are those? So the cobra roll is great. Imagine <laughs> a, a, the silhouette of a cobra rearing up yeah. in front of you. If you head, and so that silhouette's now a track. If you head down the left hand side, hurtling towards the head, as you bank left, your, your body's going to be turning left, and then you start to ascend and go around the top of the head. You bend back back towards yourself, and then it's reverse coming back. And what that does, if you actually look at the way that the human body has been twisted, it's been twisted around three axes, X, Y, and Z, as you're also moving through space along X, Y, and Z. And if you look at the human vestibular system and you look at the inner ear canal, it's exactly like the cochlea inside, the cochlea in the, the inner ear. And you can see how water... You know, the, the, the fluid which is in your inner ear is going to be exciting all the parts of your vestibular system. So, I mean, I don't know if he was aware of this at the time, but that ride is, that particular ride feature is so well suited to exploiting the way our bodies report to our brain that something thrilling is going on. Did he know that? Or like, had he talked to kind of people who study the vestibular system and got, and got I know what you want to build. You want to build something that... Looks like a cochlea. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I think this is this is me. I mean, I don't think he did think about the the human physiology in that way and its relationship to engineering. But there's a tacit knowledge. This is a, a knowledge that fairground showmen over like 
centuries have been trading on, they see what is successful with customers. They kind of go, oh, maybe we should do a bit like this. This is like, you know, you're saying about the, the ice slides, you know, there was this sort of incremental improvement. So I think it would have been some kind of hunch he had that doing this would have worked really well. And maybe he also thought, now we've got steel, we are able to rotate people around in six ways. You know what, and the Cobra roll is such a neat way of getting into a corner. For example, when you're designing a roller coaster like Wickerman, which I've worked on at Alton Towers, you get a plot of land. If you're going to the very furthest corner of the, the bit of land you've got, you've got to do a very quick turn, and a Cobra roll will do that exactly for you. So it performs so many you know, functions. So you work on roller coaster design. Companies come to you and, and say, listen, we want to design the next level roller coaster. How can we make it thrilling, but without being deadly? <laughs> so I have, I've worked on various uh, features, for example, at, at 13 at Alton Towers, the vertical drop feature. How far are you supposed to drop in the dark to make somebody f- feel thrilled? Because if you drop them any further, you're paying money for not very much. So there's, it's more like how can you create thrills efficiently? And this is where I think, theme parks can be a bit lazy you can always go higher you can always go faster you can always go longer or do most loop the loops but actually when you're talking about refining a ride and looking and innovating new things or finessing things i think that's for me is where the craft comes in and they're the areas that i'll get involved in helping to finesse well in that case tell us what makes a good roller coaster so what makes good roller coasters is probably best illustrated by telling you the rider thinks the best. There's a ride type called the Eurofighter style ride made by Gerschlauer. You get good examples in the UK of that ride at, at uh, Southend-on-Sea in Adventure Park. The ride is called Rage. And the same ride type is almost identical in Thorpe Park. In fact, I think we went on it. Uh, Saw. Yes, we did. That's, that's the one that we and went the thing on. Uh, that makes it the most thrilling is because, again, if you think of a, a ride that might happen in three minutes, it isn't because it's had just one great drop feature or it hasn't had the, the most number of twists. What it does, it's all about concentration. So any one of those experiences you design will create this massive, large peak in pleasure and arousal. That's your thrill. But that's just one moment. If the whole ride's going to be thrilling, you have to reset and create the next thrilling moment and the next thrilling moment. I think right. Rage, or this, this this star ride, is like drinking neat orange squash. It's like concentrated. That's interesting. So you don't want to, you don't want to have the volume turned up to 10 all the time. You need to kind of... If it's 10 all the time, then suddenly you don't get... that. You need the peaks and troughs, the literal and the metaphorical. Absolutely. So thrill isn't an emotion. Thrill is actually the change in emotions from something which is either neutral or low to something which is incredibly high. And it's like, if you think of like a seismograph, you want it to be really busy, whipping up and down all the time. That's it. So there you go, gentle listeners. Change is the key to roller coasters, not just craziness, but actual, but change. For example, there I, I can't remember which roller coaster I was on one recently where it kind of stops and then it drops really suddenly and it drops like a little kind of mini drop, but then it sort of carries on. It's like, like it almost like drops a level down. That could be 13 at Alton Towers, because that is... So you come in vertically into a dark area, and then that... Drop, Correct, it's the dark. Well, that particular drop feature that you... So that was the one I worked on. So it turns out that for the 95th percentile, that's 95% of, of the listeners here who go to the park will find that thrilling. And what we found was for the body to, or the brain to process this information takes 1.2 seconds. And that actually means that you going to drop something like over seven meters but you know at the start of that particular drop there's a tiny drop that happens first 
that actually works to pump prime the brain to actually prepare it for the big drop, which means the brain processes the information much faster. It does it in 0.7 seconds, so we only need to drop them around five meters, which saves two meters of steel work, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're getting this. Wow. <laughs> The detail and that's it's so fascinating because again it's one of these things we just don't think about the the what goes into designing something like a roller coaster. I think I mean I certainly was you just think oh well let's just as you say let's just go higher faster etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But actually no it's much cleverer much more sophisticated in terms of thinking about it. But yeah because they have you know we talk about rise costing. 16 20 million going up to 30 million now is anything that they can shave off in you know even a one percent in steelwork suddenly you're saving mm. tens if not hundreds of thousands so getting it right if money were no option you know i would be sending rocket ships out into mars and doing all sorts of crazy things in space but actually with constraint mm. i think actually money is a great constraint and a great it forces innovation and that's what i think in dallas yes. yes you have to think smart about the way you do these things and to do that you have to understand how the human body and brain works and finances and and the bank balance <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's really interesting so your so your favorite roller coaster your is what was it saw yeah i'd actually say rage i'd say rage yeah i mean they're almost identical but then coming on to the wooden roller coasters and the, you were talking about the quality of wooden roller coasters that I know that the Roller Coaster Club of Great Britain voted Megaphobia at Oakland Theme Park in Wales as their favourite ride because it's it's a woody, you know, what they probably call. <laughs> so, so, hang on, where's this going again? <laughs> it's the ride, the ride, it's, it's a wooden roller coaster. It's interesting because uh, there, are, there are the purists who, who like to ride wooden roller coasters. And I can understand, I think as well as the, the thrill factor, there is a sense of nostalgia about the rides that we like. I mean, I have roller coasters. I love roller coasters, by the way, obviously. There's one in just outside Las Vegas, and I forget where it's called. It's I think it's in the Buffalo Bill Resort. And they've got a roller coaster that starts off inside the casino, then goes outside. And the reason I love it is because the climb at the beginning, I think, I may be wrong, I think it's the highest climb. And you get this amazing view, and then the drop down the other side is fantastic. And I've always loved it. We always... Back in the day when I used to live out there, we used to, we always used to stop there just just to ride that roller coaster because it was so fun. It's probably terribly active. I don't think so. I think the the height. I think you touched on something there, Dallas, as well. Something to do with the height and the the landscape you're in. And yes, and who you're with. Who you're with. I mean, this is anybody says, how can I improve the roller coaster? I say, well, make sure that uh, you're riding with a friend who likes to laugh. Because people who like to go, oh, I'm going to keep it all in and you know buttoned up. You know, our, our emotions, our expression of emotions are infectious. They're, they're the ways we communicate. And if somebody else is having a great time and expressing that next to you, so will you. So to even fake a scream or a laugh can actually help promote in other people that sense. Although I, I quite like it when I'm, you know, when you're on the road on the, at the end and they take your picture, you know, that, that first screen, there'll be a flash. I Because I'm an idiot. I always try and just go completely deadpan <laughs> so, just so I can look at the photos, you know, in the photo booth yeah. at the end and, and just look like an idiot. I'm not buying that one. I'm not having a great time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, okay, just one last question. Well, I've got so many questions. Is there a limit and is there an engineering or a physiological limit to to, to roller coaster? Like, is there, or, okay, you can't pull more than Gs or you can't go this high or go this fast? Because there is something about kind of record-breaking roller coasters that we like, the fact that it's the fastest, the fact that it's got the most turns or the... But I wonder, in the kind of arms race of roller coasters, how can we make it 
more exciting. Well, there, there are innovations like the electromagnetic launch on Superman or, or Rita Queen of Speed, those rides. You get that massive G-force at the start. I mean, obviously, know that that instantaneous G-force, thanks to Colonel John Statt, we know that uh, we can go to a certain speed or acceleration, to say, without injury. So there's some sort of technological innovations like that. And in fact, actually, this is where roller coasters had preceded military advancements, because often the theme park industry obviously appropriates things that are being developed in other areas of industry but you know the ways that jet aircraft are now propelled off battleship decks are now using the same electromagnets that were designed for roller coasters so you know so we've got these kind of we're going to get these incremental innovations and where we talked about roller coasters being you get to the top and you just coast around these electromagnets are now being used to give extra kicks of speed partway through the ride. So in a sense, rather than you feeling like every part of the ride is now just uh, not as good as the first ride feature, you're now able to pick up the pace and speed and increase the, I suppose, turn up the thrill again and again and again, all the way through the Mm. ride. So again, I think there's going to be these incremental improvements. But the the thing I think we're going to be going more towards is theatre. And I think the great frontier is always going to be the human mind and imagination and what we can make people believe that they're doing. And that's why I've become more recently very interested in illusion, the use of virtual reality on rise to make people believe that they're doing things that they're not. This is the new frontier. It's hidden. and But I think the brain, the, the elastic brain, has got a massive capacity to do things we've yet to know about. That's absolutely fascinating. I just, as a final thought, I was at Alton Towers uh, a couple of years ago. And sorry, and I apologize for the name drop that's about to happen here. But they were reopening their, they have a, um, a roller coaster, which is you wear virtual reality goggles. And the virtual reality goggles that you wear on this roller coaster is about space. So you, it's, it's, you know, you're launching into space. And that we were opening, I was lucky enough to be on the front seat with uh, Al Worden, who was the Apollo 15 command module pilot. And so I'm sitting next to the um, Apollo 15 command module pilot, about to blast off to space. And I'm thinking, this doesn't get better than this. Like, this is as close as I'm going to get to going into space. (laughs) So when you say theatre and who you're with... That for me was the yeah, that's, was... that's bang on the money though that 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 is exactly it. but you know what since they opened that ride they've removed the virtual reality because people complained that actually being able to see over the countryside and getting that great vista was far better than being in some virtual fantasy world so I think there's a real you know again there's a sensitivity we're not entirely sure what people value or not but I think the sensation of going into the space and being next to a proper astronaut I wish I was sat behind you (laughs) (laughs) hey Brendan an absolute pleasure I just think your work is fascinating and I think you're brilliant and it's been a great pleasure to have you on the show and and chatting and I hope to see you in reality soon yeah me too it's been great fun that's it. Thanks for listening. Uh, apologies to anyone who was excited to hear our C-section, uh, cesarean section podcast we were going to do today. We had to move things around a little bit, so we're going to come back to that one. We had some technical issues, so stay tuned for that. Don't forget, please give us a rating and a review and a follow and all the other things that we have to do these days. It helps 
others discover the show and it helps our graphs and other such things uh, and also we love hearing from you as well get in touch with your ideas we've had loads of really good ideas that we're going to uh, do as podcasts so we definitely definitely want those next time back to a favorite subject of mine it's aliens and three close encounters in particular who invented the alien you know the little emoji gray emoji alien with the kind of almond shaped eyes and that strange shape that we're all familiar with where did that come from uh well i'll tell you next time Uh, stay tuned thanks for your company while i still have you very briefly if you fancy getting all of the history hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch. Download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes, or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code Patented at the checkout, you get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.